Amen. God's word is holy because he is holy. He has exalted his holy word even above his name. And we know that God demonstrates his holy gospel and the way of salvation through his holy word. And as we uh, come to turn to Nehemiah, let's stand to give honor to God's holy word. As we turn to Nehemiah chapter 10. Nehemiah chapter 10, we'll start reading together verse 28. Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, all those who had knowledge and understanding are joining with their kinsmen, their nobles, and are taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given through Moses, God's servant, and to keep and observe all the commandments of God our Lord and his ordinances and his statutes, and that we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. As for the peoples of the land who bring wares or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day, and we will forego the crops the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Let's pray together. Our blessed Lord, we ask that as we have read your holy word, (coughs) that we would receive this word not as the words of men, but as it is truly the word that you have spoken through your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to receive your word, to believe it and to apply it, and to see the absolute necessity of Jesus Christ as our only hope in this life and in the next. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Now imagine a church that has fallen from grace. You could say they've fallen away because of false doctrine and faulty practice for many years. It's not too hard to imagine because uh, many churches now are compromising on the issue of of marriage, especially who are to be married, whether it is to be uh, a man and a woman, or maybe a man and a man, or a woman and a woman. Um, They've compromised on some essential areas of doctrine and tried to make and to condone sin and wickedness. But let's imagine there's a church maybe somewhere in Louisiana that's gone through this and it's had this practice And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit moves in such a church. Maybe they get a new pastor, and then the pastor is teaching the truth of the Holy Word, is preaching the gospel. Um, By the way, the reason churches go down that path is because they neglect the the Word of God. They neglect the Holy Scriptures, and they they basically have a, a practice and doctrine based on man rather than a doctrine based on what the Word says. 
But such a church that would fall into sin and compromise, yet later return to the faith, should remind us of the people under Nehemiah. In such a church, when the Bible is preached, again, and it's not been preached, if the Bible is preached, people get convicted regarding sin. They get convicted and they confess their sin. They embrace Jesus Christ as he's offered in the gospel and they renew them. They seek to renew themselves unto the Lord. And that's kind of what we have here. This is a passage that talks about a gospel, you could say, well, you could say a, a renewal before the Lord uh, as they have repented of their ways and they're seeking to serve him after new obedience. Um, some prior to this had abused their fellow Jews. Um, I, I do believe it was mostly nobles and rulers, but it's also other people who had maybe wealth. They took advantage of those who were poor. They charged them interest. They had them mortgage their homes, their vineyards, their farms, and then later on took possession of their vineyards, homes, and farms, and even took possessions of their sons and daughters and enslaved them. So when Nehemiah comes along, Nehemiah, by God's grace, is given not only as a wall builder to go back to uh, Jerusalem to help rebuild the walls that were damaged and the gates that were burned with fire. He's also as a governor to rebuild the breaches in society that were so faulty. There were breaches in the culture and in the practical lives of the people of that great city and in the surrounding countryside. In chapter 5, one of the rebukes he gives the people, he says... We, according to our ability, have redeemed our Jewish brothers who were sold to the nations. And he basically says, well, why, we were sold to the nations as slaves. Why do you want to go and enslave your own people now? They really didn't have much to say, did they? But he was able to convince them to give back the properties, to give back the interest that they charged. Again, it was not allowable for Jews to charge other fellow brethren interest. They gave back that money and they gave back their properties uh, and the interest again. But after the wall was completed, there was a time of great celebration. They came together and they celebrated and part of their celebration included worship. And throughout all of their worship that we find in in many chapters of this book, (coughs) we find that they had an immense amount of reading of Holy Scripture. They read a great deal of Scripture and they became convinced and convicted of sin and they sought to confess their sin and to endeavor to live after uh, new obedience. Now, born after this true repentance of sin, look at the end of chapter 9. God's people sought to walk in obedience before the Lord. It says at the end of chapter 9, verse 38, Now, because of all this, Because of what? Because of all this sin we confessed. We are making an agreement in writing on the sealed document, um, which include the names of the leaders and the Levites and the priests. As we get to verse 28 and following, Nehemiah the priests and the Levites and the nobles all wrote their names upon this document and they renewed a covenant oath before the Lord. And the people followed suit. The remainder of the people followed the example of their leadership. As we focus on today's text, God calls you to endeavor after new obedience. That's 
what we'll find in today's text, that God calls you to endeavor after new obedience. We'll see this in two main points. A separate holy people, and secondly, the holy Sabbath day and year. You may not have thought of there was a Sabbath year, but there was a holy Sabbath day and a holy Sabbath year. Let's look at this first main point, a separate holy people. Verse 28. Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands um, did so to to the law of God. So they separated themselves from the peoples of the lands, not just to nothing. They separated themselves unto the law of God. You've got to keep that phrase in mind. Separated themselves from the peoples to the law of God. Now, there are isolationists in America and other parts of the world, in Europe and such, and they separate themselves from the rest of society. Um, you might, I think it's fascinating, actually, um, these people, they live like miles and miles away from everyone. They, they end up getting solar and they end up getting, um, some of them get generators. And they, they get wind power. I even saw one video of a, of a lady in a, I guess it was a lady who was doing it. I'm amazed that she had ingenuity uh, to, hand, to do all this. But she had a little shed with a, with a water turbine. The stream in her, in her, in her property ran down through the shed and powered a little turbine that gave them energy. So they, they were able to be really isolated from everyone. Now, I love ingenuity. I love all that stuff. But when this text in verse 28 talks about us separating ourselves from the peoples or the, the Jews separating themselves from the peoples, I don't think that's how we should apply the text today. That's not really how we should apply it. To separate ourselves to the law of God is to live in the way that he tells us to live and not how society tells us, not how our peers tell us, not how the supposed experts who deny the scriptures tell us. According to 2 Corinthians 10.5, you are to be about the business of destroying speculations and every lofty or high thing raised up against the knowledge of God. In other words, you are to be taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. This is essential. The Bible is to define how you act, how you think, how you talk, how you live. This Bible is to direct every aspect of your living. Paul guided us in another way that we are to seek to live as a holy and separate people. Let's turn, keep your place in Nehemiah, but also turn to 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5. This passage is rooted in a disciplinary case. 1 Corinthians 5. Starting at verse 1. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, 
though absent in the body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has committed this, as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you reassemble, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Second Corinthians mentions a man who is repentant, who comes back to the faith, and I believe it's the same man. But if you left him in what he was doing, he would have stayed in his sin and wickedness and would have never turned and would have gone to hell. But you see in this text that church discipline for someone who is um, needing church discipline is a loving thing in God's perspective. Now, some people might say, well, can't we just all live together and accept one another? Well, no, there's sometimes you have, there are people that have to be disciplined and no longer allowed to partake of the Lord's Supper. And Paul describes this as being delivered over to Satan. But again, the hope is that through the destruction of his flesh, the spirit, his spirit may be saved, that he may return to the faith. But then he goes on to say this in the, in the, toward the end of the chapter, verse 9. I wrote you, In my letter, this is talking about the separation that we ought to have as Christians. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world, or with the covetous and swindlers, or with idolaters. For then you would have to go out of the world. Yeah, getting isolated in the midst of the wilderness of Canada might not work for everybody. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Not the most popular passage in modern preaching, I'm guessing. You're probably not going to find a whole lot of sermons by popular preachers on this particular text in the, in the megachurches. But Paul says that we ought to be a separate and holy people. So the call for... Here in this in this commitment, this covenant commitment of them separating themselves from the peoples of the nations unto the law of God is something that is still called for us to be a separate and holy people today. It's a very important job. We'll look back at Nehemiah because we're, we're going to go back there again. Very important job for Christian parents to do everything in their power to protect their children from marrying someone who is not a true Christian filled with the, with the fruit of the Spirit. Look at verse 30. They made a solemn commitment to God. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. According to Ezra 9, this was a, this was a sin that was commonplace during this time. There were many who were rebuked by Ezra for this that they, had took it, they, they took pagan spouses from the nations. Now, this command of 
marrying those only in the covenant faith is something that is still for today, even on this side of the cross, even after the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ, this is still for today. Again, Paul in the New Testament tells us how we are to be, again, a separate holy people. We'll look back at uh, 2 Corinthians 6. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. He says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord. We are to be a separate people. Notice that the Jews from every part of society, the Jews from every part of society back in in Nehemiah, every part of society took this vow. It was not only nobles. It was not only Nehemiah, the governor, the highest official of the land. It was not only the nobles and the priests, but it was even the servants that took this oath. Look at the second half of verse 28. Also included were their wives, their sons, their daughters, and all those who had knowledge and understanding. They were joining uh, with the kinsmen, their nobles, and are taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given through Moses, God's servant, to keep and to observe all the commandments of our God, our Lord, and his ordinances and statutes. Now, We don't make a vow quite like that when we become a church member. But only one of the church vows out of five that we make, well, some of the church vows are actually testimony of what we believe, but one of the vows that we take when we become a member is this, that we acknowledge Jesus Christ as our sovereign Lord. We promise in reliance upon the grace of God that we will serve him, with all that is within us, that we will forsake the world, that we will resist the devil, that we will put to death our sinful deeds and desires, and that we will lead a godly life. That's part of a vow you make to God, somewhat similar to this vow here. However, that is a vow that none of us can keep perfectly, is it? We make that promise, we make that vow, but we don't keep it because we have this thing called sin that continues on in our lives. Um, I would say this, very important for us. When you promise to to be a, a church member, that you promise these things, that you will be a faithful church member, that you will endeavor to live for Christ, that you will put sin to death, that you will... 
um, put to death your sinful desires, that you would seek to lead a godly life, it's not marked by perfectionism and sinlessness. What is it marked by? The promise to lead a godly life includes turning to God to ask forgiveness for your sins and pleading His grace each time when you sin. Of course, we don't even do that fully, do we? But also asking God for more and more grace that He would help us to put those sins to death. But also when we sin against others, it's to ask forgiveness from them, to tell them that we're sorry for how we've sinned against them. Now, if you do those things, you are someone who's seeking to live a godly life. But again, there has to be an endeavor after new obedience. You can't just always be confessing sin but living any way that you want. God should be working in you a growth. If you are a good tree, you will bear good fruit of growing in repentance unto life. I believe these things mentioned here are what it means to have that key element of repentance unto life, this new obedience. Another thing that is marked by an endeavor to serve God by the people in Nehemiah's day is that they sought to keep the Lord's day, or what we'd call the Sabbath at that time. They sought to keep the holy Sabbath day and the Sabbath year. Look at verse 31. We'll look at the Sabbath first, the Sabbath day. As for the peoples of the land who bring wares or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath day or a holy day. Now, a lot of Christians think there's only nine commandments to keep. They think this one is really not worth keeping, I, I, I guess. But according to uh, the Westminster Confession of uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism, it says that from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, God appointed the seventh day of the week to be the weekly Sabbath, and the first day of the week ever since to continue to the end of the world, which is the Christian Sabbath. You ever thought of that? I, we have a Christian Sabbath that we are to keep. Now, in this Christian Sabbath, it is to be a day of rest and worship. Apart from deeds of necessity, it is to be a day of rest for you, your daughter, and those of your servants, according to the commandments. Now, many of us would say, well, we don't have servants nowadays. We don't employ servants. We don't have slaves in our households. How do we apply this? Well, when you go to a restaurant, what do you, what do you call the person who waits on you? Uh, I, I don't know. Oftentimes, I think they're called a server. Or they say, well, how may I serve you? That's what they're doing. They're serving you on this Holy Sabbath. Now, you might say, well, I'm keeping the Sabbath because I'm not working. I'm enjoying myself. I'm sitting down and drinking some iced tea and having a nice meal. I'm not serving. I'm not working. I'm keeping the Sabbath. But the Sabbath commandment is not just regarding you. It's regarding you, your son, your daughter, and not having others serve you unnecessarily on the Sabbath day. Now, if you do go out to eat on the Sabbath day, you're giving warrant, you're giving facilitation for the owner, the manager, the workers, and everyone else that they have to be open on that day because you're giving them the business to make them want to stay open. Now, if you tried this in maybe Boston or New York 
or other parts of the nation, it might not work. But if every Christian here would seek to truly keep the Sabbath day, a lot of these businesses wouldn't have enough people in them to even keep open with the amount of Christians that we have in central Louisiana. Dr. James D. Kennedy uh, one time told a story. Uh, he's the late Dr. James D. Kennedy. He's went to, he went on to be with the Lord. But one time he told a story how he went out to eat once on a Sunday and he tried to uh, give some encouragement for the gospel to a waiter. And he, he tried to encourage the waiter to go and to, to worship the Lord on the Holy Sabbath, or on the Lord's Day. Well, the waiter said, well, how am I going to worship on the Lord's Day on Sunday when I've got to be here serving you guys? Yeah. And Dr. James E. Kennedy kind of made his mind, you know what, maybe I don't need to be out eating on Sundays because I'm really not facilitating people to worship the Lord, am I? Still, if somebody's sick, um, if somebody's sick, you know, you got to go to the pharmacy and get medicine. you got to do that. I've done that before. Um, buying wares and grain, things that are not necessities, it's forbidden on the Lord's Day. Food, buying food that's not of necessity is forbidden, of course, uh, to verse 31 here. Now, if we have a fellowship lunch on Sunday and you, you forgot to buy something in preparation, do, like I, do what I do. Scrounge your freezer. Scrounge your cabinets. Maybe you could just cook a big pot of pasta and hope that something else can go with it. Maybe you can do a pasta bean salad or something really simple rather than have to shop on the Lord's Day. I'd rather you even come and not bring something that, you know, if that's the case. But again, um, the Holy Sabbath is something that requires prayer and preparation, this Christian Sabbath. Now, we, don't, we have to be aware that we're not going to be like the legalists, the Pharisees during the days of Jesus. You know that the Pharisees actually conspired along with the Herodians to destroy Jesus because he dared heal a man's withered hand on the Sabbath day. Deeds of necessity, deeds of mercy, that's all allowed. Doing good, healing, working in a hospital, working in an emergency room, uh, those are all deeds of necessity, and that's very permissible. Jesus taught that. I'm thankful for the hospitals being open because it seems like every time we had a baby, it was always on a Sunday. We always have to miss church and go to the hospital on a Sunday to deliver a baby. It seemed like, I know it was at least two of the three. Um, and, or you fracture something or you have a head injury. I don't know. I'm thankful those places are open on the, on the Lord's Day. You get walking pneumonia. I'm thankful that the hospital is open on the Lord's Day. It's a deed of necessity and mercy. Now Jesus said, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Mark 2, 27. I love this quote from Matthew Henry. It says, those that covenant to keep all God's commandments must particularly covenant to keep Sabbaths well. For the, prof- for the profanation of them, that's prof- profaning of them, is an inlet to other instances of profaneness. The Sabbath is a market day for our souls. Think about it. If you profane the Sabbath... What, it, what do people often profane the Sabbath do when they go home? 
are they not are they not uh, you think they're staying home to read the Bible maybe they're staying home to watch Netflix or YouTube maybe they're staying home to watch things that they shouldn't watch and it can often lead to other profaneness but again as he says here the Sabbath is a market day for our souls Man cannot live by bread alone, but from every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. We seek to feed ourselves by our own daily personal readings and our family readings, family devotions. But the Sabbath is a day where it's a feast. It's a feast upon the word of God because there's a feast. Hopefully you find it. It's a feast prepared for you in the preaching. Try to come and take part of the feast morning and evening if you are able According to the end of verse 31, another promise was made to God concerning what we call the Sabbath year. There was a promise to forego the crops the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. This was called a Sabbath year. Uh, At at times I used to think of this as the day of Jubilee, but from what I understand, it was seven Sabbath years together would eventually become then the Sabbath would become the day of Jubilee. So the day of Jubilee was like approximately every 49, 50 years. But this was something that they were to forgive the debts of others every seven years, the exaction of debt every seven years. Uh, I don't know about you, but if I was loaning money to people and, and that debt was null and void after seven years, I probably wouldn't be loaning that much. You know, don't you think? And that was probably the case, you know. These people were trying not to get in debt in the first place, but even if they did, they were commanded, this is according to Deuteronomy 15, they were commanded to uh, release that debt. And if they did this, if they followed this, God promised the people that they were to be given great blessings if they obeyed this. Forgiving the debts of others was, again, something that they didn't do. Rather, they abused other Jews, according, as we, we, we read earlier, according to um, Nehemiah 5. They abused others. They took their properties, they took their families, their own children, because they wanted to make money and gain wealth and gain property. Instead, they should have had mercy. Now, I don't believe we really have a carryover of a Sabbath year in the modern uh, church after the coming of Christ, but there is a carryover from Deuteronomy 15. That verse there is listed in Deuteronomy 15, 11. You shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy, and the poor in your land. That's something we're always under the obligation of doing, and that's a principle that we can carry out in the modern church. All these saints during the days of Nehemiah repented of their sins, but they not only repented, they endeavored. They called upon God as witness and they testified and they wrote an agreement that they endeavored after a new obedience. God likewise calls you to endeavor after new obedience. You are called to be a separate and holy people. You're to be separate in how you act, how you think, to separate yourself, not just to to nothing, but separate, separate yourself to the law of God, to the ways of God. 
Be a separate holy people in your relationships. You're not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And that's, a, that's something not just for parents to hear. That's for young people. And that's even for older people if they lose a spouse and they want to get remarried. You cannot be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. If you delight yourself in the Lord, you are to keep the Sabbath day holy. You are to make his day, the, the Lord's day, the Christian Sabbath, a feast day for your soul. God says that we are not to carry out the buying of goods on that day. Again, there's not really a, uh, a carryover of a Sabbath year, but you are to be freely open in how you give to those who are in need, especially brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, on this side of the cross, there's one part of today's text I don't think that I recommend you to do because I think it's, it's been done by Christ already. In Nehemiah 10, 29, the people are calling upon a curse upon themselves if they fail to walk in accordance with God's law. If you've embraced Jesus Christ by faith, you cannot call upon a curse for yourself. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ has already done that. He called upon a curse for himself by his work upon the cross. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, that is something to praise the Lord for. Uh, Perhaps more than any other passage in the entire gospel, the fact that Christ took, not all, but Christ took all of the curse due unto me is probably one of the passages that convinced me of the Holy Gospel more than any other. It is one of the most clear, short testimonies of what the gospel does for us. That Jesus Christ took the curse that was due unto me. So he became cursed so that I might be blessed. He became the one as the target of God's wrath so that I would not suffer that wrath. That is something to praise the Lord from. for. If you have not done so, if you have not believed in this holy gospel, if you're not trusting that Jesus Christ has taken the curse due unto you, pray that God would write that truth upon your heart and convince you of that most necessary teaching of the holy gospel. Let's pray together. We pray, beloved Lord, that you would forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for the ways that we've transgressed your holy Sabbath. We pray that you would help us to make your Sabbath a delight. We pray, O Father, that you would help us to make it a day of spiritual feasting, that it would be the day that we look forward forward to more than any other. O God, forgive us for the ways that we have not longed for your holy day. We pray, O Lord, that you would help us, that you would give us the spirit that was within those during the days of Nehemiah, that endeavor to
to live after a new obedience. Help us, we pray, to keep a short account before you that when we sin, that we confess our sin unto you and also to others. But help us to endeavor to follow your ways. By your Holy Spirit, help us to grow in that sanctification that we would show forth that we are your children. For those who have not received the blessing of the gospel, we pray that they might be assured by faith that the curse which was due upon them has been paid fully through the perfect work of Christ. For we ask all these things in the blessed name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For our hymn of dedication, let's stand and sing 530. Teach me thy way, O Lord. Let's stand and sing 530.